0: Hello, I am Dr. Mark McCullough, back with another canto, this time canto 15 for Dante's Inferno. I will read a summary um, and the translation by Mark Musa, followed by a brief discussion of the canto. They move move out across the plain of burning sand, walking along the ditch-like edge of the conduit through through which the river flows. And after they have come some distance from the wood, they see a group of souls running towards them. One, Brunetto Latini, a famous Florentine intellectual and Dante's former teacher, recognizes the pilgrim and leaves his band to walk and talk with them. Brunetto learns the reason for the pilgrim's journey and offers him a prophecy of the troubles lying in wait for him. An echo of Chiaco's words in Canto Six. Brunetto names some of the others being punished with him, but soon in the distance he sees a cloud of smoke approaching, which presages a new group, and because he must not associate with them, like a foot racer, Brunetto speeds away to catch up with his own band. Now one of those stone margins bears us on, and the river's vapors hover like a shade, sheltering the banks and the water from the flames. As the Flemings, living with the constant threat of flood tides rushing in between Wessent and Bruges, building their dikes to force the sea back. As the Padawans build theirs on the shores of Brenta to protect their town and homes from before warm weather turns Chiarantana, so snow, to rushing water. So were these walls we walked upon constructed, though the engineer Whoever he may have been did not make them as high or thick as those. We had left the wood behind, so far behind by now that if I had stopped to turn around I am sure it could no longer have been seen, when we saw a troop of souls come hurrying towards us beside the bank, and each of them looked us up and down, as some men look at other men at night when the moon is new. They strained their eyebrows, squinting hard at us, as an old tailor might at his needle's eye. Eyed in such a way by this strange crew, I was recognized by one of them who grabbed my garment's hem and shouted, how marvelous. And I, when he reached out his hand towards me, straining my eyes, saw through his face's crust, through his burned features that could not prevent my memory from bringing back his name, and bending my face down to meet with his, I said, Is this really you here, Sir Bernetto? And he, O oh, my son, may it not displease you if Bernetto Latini lets his troop file on while he walks at your side for a little while, and I, With all my heart I beg you to, and if you wish me to sit here with you, I will, if my companion does not mind. My son, he said, a member of this herd who stops one moment lies one hundred years, unable to brush off the wounding flames. So, move on. I shall follow at your hem, and then rejoin my family that moves along, lamenting their eternal pain. I did not dare step off the margin path to walk at his own level, but with head bent low in reverence I moved along. He began, What fortune or what destiny leads you down here before your final hour? And who is this one showing you the way? Up there, above in the bright living life, before I reached the end of all my years, I lost myself in a valley, I replied. Just yesterday at dawn I turned from it. This spirit here appeared as I turned back, and by this road he guides me home again. He said to me, Follow your constellation, and you cannot fail to reach your port of glory, not if I saw clearly in the happy life. And if I had not died just when I did, I would have cheered you on in all your work, seeing how favorable heaven was to you. But that ungrateful and malignant race which descended from the physisole of old and still have rock and mountain in their blood, will become for your good deeds your enemy, and right they are. Among the bitter berries there's no fit place for the sweet fig to bloom. They have always had the fame of being blind, an envious race, proud and avaracious. You must not let their ways contaminate you. Your destiny reserves such honors for you. Both parties shall be hungry to devour you, but the grass will not be growing where the goat is. Let the wild beasts of officiolae make fodder of each other, and let them leave the plant untouched, so rare it is that one grows in their dung heap, in which there lives again the holy seed of those remaining Romans who survived there, when this new nest of malice was constructed." Oh, if all I wished for had been granted, I answered him, you certainly would not not yet be banished from our life on earth. My mind is etched, and now my heart is pierced with your kind image, loving and paternal, when, living in the world hour after hour, you taught me how man makes himself eternal. And while I live, my tongue shall always speak of my debt to you, and of my gratitude. I will write down what you tell me of my future and save it with another text, to show a lady who can interpret if I reach her. This much, at least, let me make clear to you. If my conscience continues not to blame me, I am ready for whatever fortune wants. This prophecy is not new to my ears, and so let fortune turn her wheel, spinning it as she pleases, and the peasant turn his spade. My master, hearing this, looked to the right. Then, turning round and facing me, he said, He listens well who notes well what he hears. But I did not answer him. I went on talking, walking with Sir Bernetto, asking him who of his company were most distinguished. And he, it might be good to know who some are. About the rest, I feel I should be silent, for the time would be too short. There are so many. In brief, let me tell you, all here were clerics and respected men of letters of great fame all befouled in the world by one same sin. Prishin is travelling with that wretched crowd, and Francesco de Acrosso, too. And, also there, if you could have stomached such repugnancy, you might have seen one, the servant of servants, transferred to the Bacalonia, from the Arno where his sinfully erected nerves were buried. I would say more, but my walk in conversation with you cannot go on for over there I see a new smoke rising from the sand, people approach, with whom I must not mingle. Remember my tresor, where I live on, this is the only thing I ask of you. And then he he turned back, and he seemed like one of those who run Verona's race across its fields to win the green cloth prize. And he was like the winner of the group, not the last one in. So this week in canto 15 we continue to study the use of uh, dante's imagery in relationship to the sin of violence and uh, as we saw in uh, the former canto we are uh, up against the blasphemers the sodomites and the usurers and uh, today we're looking at the sin of sodomy so um uh, uh let's talk a little bit about dante's uh, attitude towards sodomy uh, which is am- ambiguous uh, it seems to me in this um, in this canto on the one hand he condemns it as a, a sin of violence so we might say that he believed that homosexuality was uh, to 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 commit homosexual behavior uh, acts was uh, was um, a violent act against the self against the nature um, and that um, some of the imagery and uh, the uh, imagery of this canto reflects how that sin of sodomy is punished. On the other hand, his portrayal of Latini is is actually um, a quite um, quite respectful, and not just respectful, but um, he uh, he celebrates um, Latini here in many ways as a great mentor, and so the. Um, Sort of the ambiguity of this of of, of this canto uh, gives us pause in um, in our in our in our appreciation of, of, of Dante's attitude towards um, towards this sin. So, again, just to summarize that he's Dante's clear here in the Inferno that um, that homosexuality acts of homosexuality are against nature. However, um, in the passage, in the passages itself where he describes Latini, he's actually quite respectful and it appears to um, uh, to uh, sort of present this figure uh, as someone to be admired and not to be condemned. Um, there is a division on the part of critics um, and translators on how much the imagery of the canto does reflect um, Uh, sodomites of dante's time and what dante would have thought about uh, homosexuality at this time Um, uh, translators like musa tend to be much more tend to emphasize in the footnotes of their translation of his translation of how much um, you know the metaphors of the sweet fig and the parties hungry to devour and um you know discussing goats and things and erections and things like this clearly point towards the sin of sodomy while others like hollander um downplay uh, some of this imagery and uh, almost uh, seem to suggest that it's that it's readers who themselves are projecting uh that these um these images are uh really a reflection of one's own prejudices of uh, of homosexuality um and i will also um say that uh, you know, uh, homosexuality as an act uh, in the purgatory, as the, as the sinners are preparing themselves to enter into the earthly paradise and into the, the presence of, of God, um, those who have committed uh, homosexual acts are not placed uh, within, um, within the terrace, on the terrace in purgatory of, um, of violence or, or rage or, or against nature, but rather of lust. And so in many ways, Dante... Uh, appears to suggest here that, um, yes, he um, uh, agrees with uh, Thomas Aquinas' portrayal of homosexuality as against nature. On the other hand, he, uh, he also sees uh, homosexuality or homosexual acts as very similar to, um, we might say in today's terms, heterosexual acts found in the, ter- uh, found in the circle of lust. Um, especially with Francesca and Paolo. And I'm in agreement with that as well in, in terms of the imagery, right? So the, the Latini and his group, what are they doing? They're running, uh, they're running around. They're restless. They can't stay in one place. If they stay in one place, their feet burn on the ground and, um, and these flakes of ash that fall from the sky land on this uh, the sandy, uh, barren wasteland and they actually the embers begin a fire and burn their feet even more so the so, so this group of sinners are, are constantly circulating and running around um, therefore we have the sort of the the runner metaphor of the Verona race there at the conclusion of the canto um, this is very similar to the restlessness and groundlessness of the um, of the lustful in canto 5 and so you see that similarity there as if to suggest that um, uh, that there's something of the sin of incontinence here of appetite of, of gluttony of that which we allow ourselves to desire that um, the wrong object um, in excess um, and so by doing so we give ourselves over to uh, we give ourselves over to this appetite and we demote reason uh, we get some of that imagery here as well Latin, uh, Bernardo Latini was a figure that was important for Dante. Um, he uh, was a translator of um, a variety of ancient texts, including Aristotle, that Dante came to read. Um, Latini himself, too, was a uh, exile from Florence. And he spent time in France and translated, not translated, but he wrote a work in uh, in French that he um, refers to here. Uh, I think it's called the Tresor, and, um, yeah, that Dante has read and is familiar with. And so um, I, I believe unlike uh, Cavalcante, Latini's importance for Dante was not po- as a poet so much as, uh, as, a, as a scholar um, and um, as someone who um, imported culture into contemporary Florence. And by the prophecies that Latini is, um, is conscious of, right? Um, he's also portrayed here as someone who, uh, like Dante, uh, uh, finds the political uh, situation of Florence uh, intolerable, and Latini himself uh, says here uh, that you know that Dante would will expect uh, more uh, trouble from uh, from the city of Florence, uh, not just in his, his, his exile but in the violence that will be increasing in that in that city. And so the, the this theme of Dante's city of Florence continues, from the beginning uh of of all the way back rather to the wood of suicides, uh, where he encounters the Florentine um, the anonymous Florentine suicide, and gathers up the leaves um for the per for the for the love of Florence in Canto fourteen, and now continuing into Canto fifteen, um in um. Often, uh, you know, as, the, as, um, as Latini um, is echoing Chiaco's words in, in Canto Six. so we get it, we sort of get an increased uh, disc- set of discussions uh, uh, between Dante and these figures of the political scene uh, in Florence. And so Latini represents both the sort of the, the scholarly, um, intellectual scene in Florence, the political scene as well. And uh, as, as we said before, so through the, the poetry um, and, and the admiration that Dante has for one of his, um, no pun intended, forerunners. You see, if you've been following along with the podcasts and, f- and reading the cantos, you can see where um, Dante uh, continues to fill out his experience that's described for the first time in the first canto of, his, of where he was in his life before traveling to hell. And, uh, you know, Divine Comedy is one of these great works where you don't know everything all at once, and you need to read through the entire Divine Comedy to sort of put together some of the details of um, of, of the beginning. And we get a good example of this here in at line 49 when Dante tells um, Latini, he says, Up there above in the bright living life, before I reached the end of all my years, I lost myself in a valley. Just yesterday at dawn I returned from it. And this spirit here appeared as I turned back, and by this road he guides me home again. Um, this is not information that we didn't necessarily know, but it kind of summarizes even more clearly for us um, both Dante's um, lostness in the valley in Canto One in the uh, in the forest, and also the time element here as well. Remember, this was just yesterday that he found himself lost. I um, mean, you know, <laughs> this is reading all of this doing all these podcasts you know is like a hundred times longer than the actual journey itself took. reminds me of a um you know i studied moby dick longer than it took uh (laughs) it took melville to write it um so uh so remember that this is this is dante has a very very specific chronological time um starting on good good friday so now we're still on in holy saturday uh for dante so again he references this there and then he continues on to say that this one here, uh, that is Virgil, doesn't doesn't mention him by name, uh, but this one here is guiding me home again on the road home again. So this is a reminder for our for us readers, of Dante's journey and the purpose of his of his journey there. Latini doesn't acknowledge Virgil, which is odd. Um, uh, maybe it's odd. It's odd because as I said before, Latini was a was kind of a a force of an of, of imported classical ideas into Florence. But, um, but Latini's poetry, his, his writing did not, according to Dante, seem all that influenced by Virgil. And so figuratively speaking, uh, Latini does not recognize uh, Virgil. And Virgil actually keeps quiet during this whole canto. Um, it's an interesting quiet. You know, it's an interesting silence here. Um, Virgil's silence will increase um, as Dante um, as Dante descends um and 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 also um if you read purgatory you'll you'll see that um virgil can uh, several at several important moments significant moments in the purgatory takes the back seat um, to to statius and to other situations and so here's sort of virgil like fading into the background just enough for dante and latini to have this um, quite intimate conversation and again not to make too much of this intimate conversation but to say that uh, Latini, that uh, Dante keeps his head bowed before Latini is in deep respect um, and um, and, list- and really listens to the, the prophecy um, that, that Latini tells him and, uh, and Dante by the end of this is basically saying I'm ready for whatever fortune wants whatever happens to me, um, I will be ready and it's with that that Latini goes on to um, describe briefly some of the characters who are here being punished for the sin of sodomy um, and he said, and as a summary, he says in line 106, he says, let me tell you, all here were clerics and respected men of letters of great fame, all befouled in the world by one same sin. And as Latini looks up, he sees a new group of damned who are entering into this, um, into this circle of violent and he needs, he needs not to bump into them. He, did, he can't consort with them. And so he catches up with his group. And by catching up, Dante has this wonderful poetic flourish here at the end. Where he says you know he was behind his group he was lagging behind like a runner but then when he caught up he not only just caught up to their pace but he actually outpaced them as if he were uh, running in verona's race across its fields to win the gre- the green cloth prize i can't help but read the end here and he was like the winner of the group not the last one in so he was he was someone who caught not just caught up but someone who outpaced them as well so um a very celebrated portrayal of Latini in hell um you know i think i think about this passage and uh, almost uh, i wouldn't say romantically like uh, like i I'm, I'm thinking that dante is 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 excusing for the sin here but it just the sin of sodomy itself does not appear to be the focus at least as far as the focus of violence is concerned um, uh, why is that? Is this a, a moral uh, comment, commentary that Dante is making or, or not? I think you can have it either way. You can say that he, for whatever reason, choosing a respectful um, a mentor to, to place here gives it a kind of tragic sense. Um, or you can also say that comparing this canto with other cantos, that we, uh, there are times that Dante does not focus on the sin that is being punished in the canto, in fact, he will um, take the opportunity to do something quite different uh, in these cantos. So, so it makes Dante one one heck of an interesting poet. Just when you think you know uh, what to expect, uh, uh, as as in Capenius and how clear Capenius's pride is, and his pride is clearly representative of the violence of blasphemy. Then you get to the next canto, and you're thrown kind of a curveball. Um, and, uh, and 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 Dante does something I th- uh, I think quite surprising, um, and I, I can't I'm not I can't fail to be to be surprised by Dante as no matter how many times I read him it's very surprising and it's not it's unlike anything um, I would have of course I I would have written um, which isn't to say <laughs> this isn't really a great comparison but you know a an average poet is one who is much much more predictable especially in the kind of schematic way in which he uh, in which uh, a person might or an artist a writer might um you know structure their hell and place within that hell like these allegorical figures that will be that, that are dealt with in all the same way dante doesn't do this he's multiple and surprising uh and actually uh, quite uh, quite unique so Hope you'll join me again next time as we um, as we tackle Canto sixteen and um, continue um, with our discussion of the um, the damned uh, in the circle of violent. Thank you.